Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Last week, we began this series called Fixed Marriage. Pastor Andrew did a great job last week of leading us through Ephesians chapter 5. He challenged us to not read those verses, applying them to our spouses, but to actually read them recognizing how, how they apply to us personally. And when we do that, when we apply those verses to us personally, we will submit. There's a mutual submission that takes place uh, in Ephesians, and, and we will submit, and just like Jesus did. He set the example for us. Jesus died to his will, his wants, his preferences, and he did all of that for us. And that's what we have to do to make a marriage successful, is that we have to die to our will, our wants, our preferences. And the most difficult thing for us to do is to submit when we think that we are right. Or even when we know that we are right. But that's what it takes. It's, it, it's that not my will, but yours be done. And so last week was about fixed me. Fixed me. We were looking at ourselves. Fixed me. This week, today, is about fixed he or fixed she. It's about your spouse. How God wants to fix them and the method that God may use to fix them. A fixed marriage is another term for an arranged marriage. It is a marriage in which the husband and wife are chosen for each other by their parents. I've heard some of the, the young parents of our church joke about fixing or arranging the marriages of their kids with other small kids in the church. And, and that's all cute. I, I mean, I get it. I, yeah, I mean, the chances of that happening are slim to none, but, but, but that's fine until little Billy grows up to be Bill because it's cute when he's two years old and he's picking his nose, but when he's 14 years old picking his nose, it's not near as cute, is it? And, and, and you know, and I think about some of these little girls in our church and that little diva act is so fun to watch when she's young, but it's not near as enjoyable to watch when she's a young lady. And so, parents, be careful with who you're fixing your kids up with because you just might get what you're asking for. I'm just letting you know, but, but I'll be here to tell you, you asked for it. Okay, here we go. Many people, many people, they don't know that, that Mandy and I were actually a fixed marriage. A lot of people don't know this. I don't know if I've ever shared this publicly or not, but we were a fixed marriage. It's true. There was a, a dowry to pay for me, and now it all makes sense to you, right? Because you, you've been wondering, how did she get that catch? You know, how was she so lucky? It was nothing that a few hundred heads of cattle couldn't buy, okay? And so, and I've been, <laughs> my father-in-law said donkey, but um, I got her out of that stable. <laughs> I... Thank you. I'll be here for the next service too. <laughs> I've been thinking about doing that same thing with my daughter though. I really have because if I set the dowry high enough, that means she'll never get married, right? Um, during this series, when we say fixed marriage, we're not talking about an arranged marriage. Although the Bible is full of arranged marriages, in case you're wondering, it, it's there. We find Isaac uh, and Rebekah. Isaac's father, Abraham, sent a trusted servant to find a suitable bride for, from his own people for his son to marry because he did not want Isaac to take a wife from among the heathen Canaanites. Uh, we, re we read of where Jacob worked for Laban for seven years for the opportunity to marry his beautiful daughter, Rachel. But Laban tricked, uh, tr tricked Jacob and, and forced him to, to work and, and marry the uglier, 
older sister, Leah, instead. Uh, and so he had to work another seven years for the girl of his dreams. So it wasn't one, but it was two arranged marriages right there for that man. That, I don't know how dumb you can get. But, but, uh, and you cannot get any more arranged than, than the very first marriage of Adam and Eve. I mean, you talk about arranged marriages. Here you go, Adam. Here's your choice. Here's hippopotamus. <laughs> Don't look at me, son. You named her. Okay, here's, here's hippopotamus. Here's cow. And here's woman. Your choice. Pick. Well, let me pray about it. Woman. Okay. You know, that's not hard. That's not hard. God only gave him one choice, and it was with a woman. And so that was an arranged marriage. But there's another arranged marriage in the Bible that is probably one of the most difficult marriages that has ever existed. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Hosea. This obscure book that's just right there in the middle of your Old Testament has some of the tr most troubling verses that you'll ever read. Especially when you are struggling in marriage, if you're struggling because one or the other has committed adultery, these are tough verses. And although today I'm not necessarily talking about adultery, it's obviously a topic that is going to come up in these verses. And, uh, and, and I want to say this to you before we, we move into this, because some of you need to understand, I, I get it, I understand that there are moments when you just can't make the marriage work. And the Bible actually gives us a way out, if you will. I, I don't like using that phrase, but it says, you know, that there are biblical grounds for a divorce and, and adultery is that. If your spouse has cheated on you, broke the marriage vows and, and been with someone else, it gives you a, a way out. However, as I have said many times during counseling, just because the Bible gives you a way out doesn't mean that you have to go that direction. Because the Bible is perfectly fine with teaching you about reconciliation and, and one learning to love the other one again and learning to trust that one again. It takes time. I will not lie to you. It takes time. But it is possible. And so as we read through some of these difficult passages today out of the book of Hosea, I want you to know that, that God wants to heal your marriage. He wants to fix your marriage. And he wants to fix your spouse. Now during this series, when, when we say fix marriage, like I said, we're not suggesting that parents should arrange marriages. We're referring to your marriage being repaired or being fixed. And I'm not saying that you will have the perfect marriage when this series is done. But at least you won't have to pretend like it is for the whole world to see. I know women... I know that he drives you crazy. His mama has never taught him to put his dirty underwear in the laundry basket. I know you want that to change, right? I know, men, she is making you insane because she never gets off social media and she's always on that phone. And how many times have you looked at her and said, could you just put the phone down? I know he snores the paint off the walls and you want to change that. Uh, she expects you to read her mind. You're supposed to know everything that she's thinking, and, and it's nuts. Uh, he never remembers to put the toilet seat down. If you could change that about him, you would. And, and when she says, fine, it really doesn't mean that everything is fine. And if you could change that about her, you would. And here's the thing. He needs to be fixed. She is in desperate need of repair. Don't say amen right there. It's going to get bad for you. 
So what do you do when you are trying your best, but your spouse is not? When you're putting forth the effort and you are trying to make the marriage work, and you are convinced that your spouse needs to change in order for your marriage to survive, how do you fix your spouse? How do you do this? How do you fix your spouse? And I'm going to answer that question today. And so if you're not taking notes and your spouse needs to be fixed, you need to take some notes right now. Because I promise you that no matter how bad your marriage is, and some of you, you walked in here today with some pretty rough stuff. And I promise you that no matter how bad your marriage is, when we are finished today, it will not look as bad as the couple that we are about to read about because this was one of the worst marriages ever. Hosea chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. Gomer? What a name. Hippo's not looking so bad, is she? <laughs> so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. Verse 6 says, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name no mercy, for I will, have no more, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Verse 8 says, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. This is a very difficult task that God is speaking to this prophet. And he tells this prophet, he says, I want you to go and marry this prostitute. My calling on your life is that you will go and marry this prostitute. It, it's so difficult because even in a roundabout way, God even told him that she is going to give him children out of extramarital affairs. We know at least one of the three. Honestly, when I read it, I think two of the three were, were not Hosea's. But we know at least one because the, the child's name was not my people. In other words, that's not my blood. That one is not related to me. The sad part about this is that even though it was a difficult marriage from the beginning, God was asking an impossible task. We know that it gets worse. That not only did God ask him to marry a prostitute, and then she has children that at least one does not belong to him. She returns back to prostitution and becomes stuck in the sex slave industry. And after a roller coaster of emotions, Hosea would eventually be faced with a decision on what to do about his wife. And, and God speaks directly to him. Now, here's what I want you to remember as we continue to read this. This is a true story. This actually happened in this prophet's life. And, and God allowed him to go through this because of a message that he wanted to send to his people, Israel, and ultimately to us. 
And so listen to what God tells him after she's returned back to prostitution. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes, cakes of raisins. Just stop there just for a moment. Let's talk about this because this is so this is so tough that God would look at him and say, I know that you can't trust her, but I want you to go find her. Have you ever thought about where he had to go and look for this woman? Where do you go to find a prostitute? You are going to go to some of the darkest places of the city. You're going to the slum areas of the city. You're going to go to the place where you don't want your children to go. You're going to a place that no man of God should ever be seen in. This is tough. And he's, I'm sure he, he probably looked at God and said, God, are you sure? You know what she's done to me already. Are you sure? Are you sure? And God says, go. Go find her. I don't know about you men, but if I'm in Hosea's position, I, I'm probably not going to find her. But he was close enough to God that, that he realized when God was speaking to him, he had to act upon that. And so God said, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is, in, is an adulteress. And then he says these words, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. In other words, even as God loves, you are to love also. You get to verse 2, and it, it gets even worse. It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. You bought her? <clears throat> Hosea, you bought her? What, what is wrong with you? She's already yours. You married this woman, and, and now you're buying her. This is your wife. And what you have to understand is that he is paying for something that is already his. He is purchasing something that he already has the deed to. He's got the rights. He's got the paperwork. This is his, and he's willing to go out and pay for it again. Church, it's interesting that the names Hosea, Joshua, and Jesus, they are all derived from the same Hebrew word, Hosea, which means salvation. And when you look at these men and you look at their lives, Hosea, Joshua, and Jesus, they brought salvation you see, Hosea is a picture of God. That's what he is. Hosea is the picture of God. Yes, he was a real man, but God was showing through his life how much he was going to love us. He is a picture of God. And, and, and I, I know this can mess you up, but, but you and I, we are the picture of Gomer. That's who we are. We are Gomer. And because we keep going back to our sinful nature time and time again, I know I'm not the only one in the room that's ever returned back to my sinful nature. But yet God never stops coming after me. He never stops searching for me. He keeps pursuing us. And you have to understand, we already belong to God. Psalm 24 and 1 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who lives in it. So we already belong to God. 
He's already claimed us. He's laid rights down for us. And when he finds us on sin's auction block, that's when he sent his son to purchase what he already owned. Can you imagine when you finally find that dark alley that she's probably standing up on a pedestal, shackled, and Hosea becomes what none of us could ever be, her redeemer. And he walks up and he says, that's my wife. And the guy says, I don't care who you think she is. You just can't take her. She's for sale. And that man has to swallow all of his pride and say, how much? How much? And he pays to have her removed off of that auction block. He buys her back. When other men sought to buy her to use her, Hosea sought to buy her to heal her, to fix her. As unfair as it is, man, thank God that he didn't ask us to walk this path. As unfair as it is, God was teaching this prophet about grace, about unconditional love. It wasn't that kind of love that says, if you do this, then I'll do that. It wasn't that love. You know, if you mow the lawn, then I'll wash your clothes. Or, or if you'll let me watch football, then I'll take you out for dinner. If you let me go shopping, then I'll be intimate with you. Yep, there it is. No, that's prostitution. That's not even negotiation. That's prostitution is what it is. And he was getting his wife out of that game. It wasn't, if you will love me and forsake all other men, then I will love you and buy you back. It wasn't that. It was in spite of what you've done, I love you enough that I want to get you off that auction block and I want to get you home and I'm going to do my best to, 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 to help fix you. I'm going to do whatever I can to extend grace to you, to bring healing to your life. Not if you'll do this for me, then I'll do this for you. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Please don't. I, I, I believe that we should aim to please each other, to know what needs and desires that our spouse has and try and meet them. But grace cannot be negotiated, church. It can't. You either have unconditional love or you don't. You either say, I will love you no matter what, or my love is conditional. And if you get everything right, then I'll continue to love you. Let me tell you something, and I've said this many times, but, but some of you need to hear it. When it comes to your marriage, you need to get words like separation and divorce. You need to get them out of your vocabulary because the moment you put it out there, it's an option for you. And you need to run far away from that. And you can, I don't care, in the middle of your argument in your house and your car riding down the road, when one or the other says, we, we just need to separate or we need a divorce, you look at them and say, Pastor Rocky said not to say that. Get that option off the table. Because unconditional love says, if they don't, you still do. Your spouse, your spouse should see the image of God when they look at you. And let me ask you this. What do they see? What, what is the image that they actually see? 
When your spouse looks at you, do they see the image of God? Because if they see God, they're not seeing that, that, that judgmental attitude. They're not say, seeing that if you do this, then I'll do that. No, it, it, is, it is God saying, even if you don't, I will. It's about grace. And I know grace is not easy to extend to our spouses. And I think I figured out why. Genesis 2 and 25 tells us, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. How many of you men want to go back to that day? Yeah, that was just a great day, isn't it? And remember, all of you, all of you that are not married in the room, it did say the man and his wife, okay? okay? They were naked and they were not ashamed. Now listen to this, you ready? There is not a more vulnerable place than marriage. God knows that when two people live as close and as vulnerable as they should be in marriage, there are plenty of things that you can be ashamed of. The moments when I've had a hard time leading my home spiritually are the moments when I realize that Mandy knows as much about me that I do, and she knows all of my mistakes. I'm extremely vulnerable. But when both partners are operating in God's grace and exemplify forgiveness. They can walk close and vulnerable and feel no shame. But at the moment one starts judging the other one, that's when they can no longer be vulnerable with each other anymore. And that's when they start putting the blame on each other. And that's where shame comes from. It happened in the garden because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where shame and blame came from. As long as you live out of the tree in life, you don't have to worry about that. And there was a moment in marriage where husband and wife walked around extremely vulnerable and felt no shame. The first few years of our marriage set us up for divorce. Cancer, immediately following twins, Right after that, ministry took us away from close friends and family. We should have never survived. Because what developed out of all of that was a, a very selfish atmosphere. I'm not afraid to admit it to you. But Mandy and I both, we were very selfish. I was selfish in that I was so work-focused. I saw my career in ministry as more important than my wife. I saw my career in ministry as more important than my children. I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. And some of you, you're going to reach that place one day if you don't get it fixed. I was selfish that work was more important. Mandy was selfish. And the fact that... that when I was home, she only wanted to talk about when I wasn't home. And so it was just never ending. When, when I did come home, all we did was argue. And so that made me want to stay away. I didn't want to be home. And so I would come home just to eat and sleep. I'd leave the next morning. I'd make sure that I was gone all day the next day. Doing the work of the Lord, that was my excuse. 
As you can guess, this created intimacy issues in our marriage. We needed to change, but we were both hard-headed and we were both right. At least we both thought we were. And I want to tell you that there's this moment where as the spiritual leader of the household that I was in deep prayer one day in my study and God sent an angel and he spoke into my life and, and I completely changed our house that day, but that's not what happened because I was too hard-headed and I was pointing the finger and blaming her way too much, so much so that God couldn't even speak to me. I had tuned God out. And my wife, heartbroken, went to God in prayer. She laid her life out before God because she knew that she was falling out of love with me. Through many tears, Mandy laid it all out to God. And she knew if God didn't change something, that our marriage was going to end. And that's when God spoke to my wife and said the most important words that have ever been said over our marriage. God said, even if he doesn't, you do it. Even if he doesn't love you, you love him. Even if he doesn't respect you, you respect him. Even if he doesn't give, you give. And my wife decided that moment that she was going to do exactly what God asked her to. That's grace. I started coming home and Mandy stopped talking about the times I wasn't there. Before I knew it, we could actually sit down and have a meal together and watch TV. We could actually raise kids together and not argue about it. And while she's doing that, God was fixing me. I'm man enough to admit it. I was more messed up in this situation than she was. I needed to be fixed. And how did God fix me? Through the grace that she extended to me. Grace. Getting what you don't deserve. I didn't deserve her love. I didn't deserve her understanding. I didn't deserve her respect. But even when I wasn't, she was. And it began to heal me. And before you knew it, we had a marriage again. It, it, it fixed me. And, and what happened was it fixed us. It was silent warfare. But it changed me. And I'm a better husband and a better father and a better pastor today because one woman listened to God. And she did even when I didn't. Can you imagine 
the feeling, the overwhelming feeling as Gomer is standing on an auction block and shackles and Hosea says, I'll buy her. She doesn't deserve it. But I love her enough to buy her. You're waiting. You're waiting for him to say he's sorry. You're waiting for her to say that she's wrong. The grace of God is exemplified through us to our spouses. And it's all defined right in Romans 5 and 8, but says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not at the moment I said I'm sorry. Not when I said I was wrong. But when I was still in my sin, Christ died for me. And when I was still wrong in my marriage, my wife said, I'll die to my wants, my needs, my desires to heal him. And you've got to be willing to do that for your spouse because it healed me and it'll heal them. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.